When Christians read the Bible, the understandable focus is almost always on the nice parts. The problem is that there are parts of the Bible that aren't so nice. And those parts are starting to get a lot more attention. Seemingly strange commands condemning tattoos? Verses that seem to endorse slavery? How about the verses telling women they should submit and remain silent and can't say anything in church? What do we do with all the verses that make it feel like you're being forced to choose between the Bible and science? How do we make sense of all this? Because it's all there in the Bible. It was just over 15 years ago, and I had been invited to serve on a board of an association of churches. Now, I'm a lousy board member. I don't know why I said I would do it. I hardly ever go to the meetings. and Anyway, but I came. And, this, and my very first meeting, um, I was anxious to get there, and I got there a little bit early. And so I was sitting on a, on a, in a greeting area, kind of a foyer area outside on, on, in a chair as we, I waited for the meeting to start in a, a a guy walked up who I later learned was a pastor. I assumed he was also going to be on this board that I was on. I had never met him before, never seen him. And he came up to me and sat down and I said, hi, my name is Steve. Uh, and he said, Steve, where are you? And, I said, and he told me his name, I'm not gonna tell you. And, and um, then he said, um, where are you? I said, I'm in San Jose at Westgate Church. And he said, oh, I, you're, yeah, I, I've heard of you. And I, and my, <laughs> right? I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm bad. <laughs> he said, you're the church that has women pastors. You, you let women preach at your church. Now, this is the first thing he says to me, right? I don't know him from anything. So I, I figure I'll just play along. So I said, absolutely, that's us. You've heard of us. Yes, sir. We, but man, I'll tell you what, we're, we're all the richer for some of the gifts that the, the women bring and they pre preach. And he says, excuse me, wait, wait, wait. Don't you care about what Paul said in the Bible? Now I'm pissed. <laughs> he don't know. So I say to him, just what exactly did Paul say? And as I expected, he quoted it straight out of it. The women must be silent. I said, yeah, 1 Corinthians 14. He said, yes, don't you care? I said, well, let me ask you a couple questions. Do women ever get up on your stage and give announcements? Yes, we, we allow that. I said, do they, do they ever sing? From the stage, yes, we allow that too. I, just, just asking, because I don't know you, but do you ever let a woman pray from the stage? He said, yeah, we allow that. I said, don't you care about what Paul said in the Bible? You see, we all figure out how to work our way through some things that are in the scriptures. And we draw our lines in the sand and then we act as if our line is the only line that counts. 
a book that um, I would encourage you to read if you're interested in trying to be just a challenge of how you're um, looking at the scriptures. This is called The Blue Parakeet. I know, weird, weird title, but Scott McKnight, wonderful theologian, has got, has got some great works. And Scott, one of the things that Scott McKnight says is that the essence of following Jesus is that you love God, love your neighbor, love one another. So, I mean, I'm, he, like, he's got to be right, right? I mean, he's since we say that around here all the time, but if you're looking for a book that challenges kind of how you look at the scriptures and how to read them, but he said basically we look at the scriptures from two main broad categories. We read to retrieve, and then we read through traditions. And he said as, as we read to retrieve, there's a group of people who, who say, keep it all. It's... Um, it's like the Bible says it, that settles it. And in that group, you're trying to be a first century Christian in a 21st century world. And you read to retrieve it, every bit of it, whatever it says, however you read it, that's what you do. And then there's a part of people who they'll read to retrieve, but they only read to retrieve what they agree with. And I want to suggest to you that both of these retrieval methods, you certainly read to retrieve, but both of these extremes, every single word exactly as it's read, irregardless of, of anything else, and then, oh, no, we just kind of pick what we like. Both of those are are not good. But there's another way we read through the scriptures, and that is we read through traditions. Traditions of our denominations and our doctrine. Traditions of our, our way of gathering. We all have them. Traditions um, can serve us. In our, I think of traditions in the best sense as guardrails on a windy road. They can really serve you well and keep you from going into the ditch. And you, go, you can always look back. I'm always worried about someone who comes to me and says, I read this verse. No one has ever interpreted it this way before. Listen to this. I'm, I'm wary. You're the first? Yep, very first. No one's ever, it's, this guy, it's new. Reading through that kind of tradition um, without the benefit of seeing it as a guardrail, is actually dangerous. Now, how do you know? Well, just we're going to talk about this in a little bit throughout the whole series, but you ask yourself, what is my reading of the Scriptures producing in me? Um, is there room for questioning? Is there room for disagreement? Is there room actually... Measuring your character with the fruit of the Spirit instead of how much you know. We know, here's the deal. The Bible tells us there are disputable matters in it that we're gonna disagree on. Did you know that? Romans 14.1 says to be patient with each other on disputable matters. Do you have room in your way of reading that allows for disputable matters? So I think we need to read to retrieve for the process of renewal and also read with tradition. 
with the safeguards that are around how we read the scriptures. But we need to do it in such a way where we understand what we are reading and how to go about it. You, You simply cannot pick up this book as just a normal book and just go about reading it. There are at least four things you must understand about the scriptures before you read a single syllable. So let me pray for us. And I wanna walk you through those four things. It's gonna tend to be, sorry about this, but it's it's gonna feel a little bit academic, but we've gotta lay a foundation so that we can start to tackle over the next few weeks, we're gonna tackle, try to tackle several issues, several of the disputable matters and those, what I'm more excited about actually is the straw man arguments that people that are outside of reading the scripture use against the Bible. So let me pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being together, for um, just the worship that we've been able to declare and the promise of your presence among us. You have been so good and faithful. All our lives, you have been. And we thank you for it. God, as we work our way through scriptures now, can you help us to understand in a better way how more of your word can get in us and work through us and more of your grace as we do it can pour out of us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. The first one of the four points, we're going to have four points. First one is the Bible is a library, not just a book. This is a quote out of uh, the inspiration for this series written by our friend Dan Kimball, who's a pastor over in Santa Cruz. Um, How Not to Read the Bible. We just, with permission, stole his title. And actually, he's preaching it. They're preaching over South Hills. They're preaching it at Vintage Faith. Um, our students in, our, in junior high and high school are working through this, so you, you'll have lots of stuff. If you've got students that age, you can um, get ready. He said this, this Bible, this library is diverse, containing writings of history, poetry, prophecy, and law. The library of diverse books was written in three different languages over a 1,500-year period by a whole bunch of different people from different cultures. And if you can imagine, when you take a look at your book, rather than picking up the Bible and thinking up as one book, you should have this picture in mind. Think of library shelves with all different kinds of pictures on there, all different kinds of books. And you'll see that you've got books of the law. You've got books that are history, historical. Got poetical books that are there. You've got prophetical books. You've got historical narrative in the Gospels and Acts. And then you've got these epistles which serve as kind of exhortational letters to churches in the first century written by Paul and some other folks. And you realize that if you were to walk into a library, there's no way in your own mind you would walk into a poetry section and pick up a book of poetry and read it the same way that you would when you walk over into the historical section and pick up an American history book and begin to read it. It only makes sense that you would look at these different books, different genres of literature in different ways. 
Most people, at least a lot of people, have no understanding that there's different types of books written by a bunch of different folks. Humanly speaking, the Bible was written by approximately 40 people with huge, diverse backgrounds. Ezra was a priest. Matthew was a tax collector, John a fisherman, Paul a tent maker, Moses a shepherd, Luke a physician. We could go on and on and on. All of these guys had different perspectives, different educational backgrounds, even different nationalities. And they present them in all of these different types of literature, historical, pastoral, poetry, and even apocalyptic future stuff that's extremely hard to understand. Now, just to give you an example of this, let me, let me imagine you open up the paper and on the paper you read, chiefs run cowboys out of town in defensive struggle. Just imagine that's what you have. That's you, you have this, this title. Chiefs run cowboys out of town in defensive struggle. Now, what are you mostly thinking right away? In our culture, what are you thinking? Football. I mean, it would be hard-pressed to not think football. Go back 150 years. You're going to think something completely different, right? Completely different. Fast forward 2,000 years in your wildest imagination. And imagine someone digging up something just outside of where this church once was and they find a newspaper and they dig it up 2,000 years from now and it says, chiefs run cowboys out of town. I mean, they've got all kinds of problems, don't they? To try to figure out what that means. That's the bridge we've got to pass as we work our way through this library of books. Secondly, the Bible is written for us, and watch this because you're going you're to chafe at this. The Bible is written for us, but not to us. John Walton, the professor down over in Wheaton College in Illinois of Old Testament, he says this. He says, we believe the Bible was written for us, that it's for everyone of all times and all places because it's God's word. But it was, wasn't written to us. It wasn't written in our language. It wasn't written with our culture in mind or our culture in view. And there's a gap that we've got to be able to cross over and time is actually one of the easier ones. It's at least 2,000 years. Could go as back as far as 3,500 years ago, the oldest books written. And that part of it's actually the easiest part because we have to cross over language barriers. We have to cross over cultural barriers, political barriers the nuances of different kinds of language and how it works. And to take something verbatim, written in a first century context and then applying it to you specifically 
might be, not always, but might be dangerous. Let me tell you a story. 1987, Dana and I felt like we were moved to get out of public school education and coaching, and we were going to move um, into vocational ministry. We were already in ministry just as a volunteer, and we were going to then be paid to be good instead of good for nothing. So <laughs> we, we made this decision. I informed the, the, the man that was the coach where I worked at the high school I worked was a mentor of mine. He'd known me since I was 15 years old, and I'm now 30. And he's been part of my life the whole time. And I told him, I'm leaving. We were coaching in Athens, Texas, East Texas, just outside of Tyler. I told him that we were going to leave. And um, right after I announced I was going to leave, another coach said they were going to leave. And in fact, he was looking to leave. And then I walked into the field house one morning and he said, I'm staying. I'm staying. I'm not going to leave. I said, Why? He said, this morning I read this, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. <laughs> I am not making this up. This dude made a great guy, tremendous guy. I love him with all my heart. I mean, this guy made a vocational decision, and by the way, a very poor one. He made a vocational decision that affected him and his family for the next 12 months because he read this verse that morning in his quiet time. I think we'll stay in Athens by ourselves. Now, you, you see, now, I'm not, we'd have to do some study in, in 1 Thessalonians, which we just did. But I'm not sure what that means, but it doesn't mean you can't leave Athens. Now, we're laughing at, at this, but we've done this. Now, you're thinking right now, no, I hadn't done it. Well, some of y'all have because you've come into my office and told me why you're going to do what you're going to do, and you've got a verse. And that verse ain't got nothing to do with what you're doing. I've had men come into my office and justify their affairs with their secretaries with a Bible verse. It's written for us, but it's not written to us. And so the process is you want to do interpretation before you do application. You want to understand what does this Bible mean to the audience that it was originally written to before I ask, what does this Bible mean, verse mean for me? Does that make sense? So, and the better job you do of interpretation the better application you're going to have. That there's a process of working through things. And this is not easy. Some of y'all are going, well, I don't even have a clue about how to do this. It's not easy. Peter, when he read the letters of Paul, listen to what he said in 2 Peter 3. Paul, he writes the same way in all his letters. It's like, it's all difficult. Speaking in them of these matters, his letters, his letters contain some things that are really hard to understand. I mean, the Bible admits it. Peter, who's got a pretty good insight into what's going on, I mean, he's, he's going to write some of our New Testament 
and be a source for one of our gospels, probably the gospel of Mark. Mark got all his story from Peter. This guy's got a little bit of an insight into what was going on. He says, when I read Paul, I I don't know. It's just hard. And yet we know that the Bible has promised to us that it's, it's inspired by God himself. It's the breath of God for us. Thirdly, verses are a single part of a larger story. They are, it's a single part, verses are, of a larger story. And you want to always check the neighbors around your verses. Let me give you an example. I bet a lot of y'all have had this. It's not as common now. Many, many years ago, I had um, someone walking my neighborhood. They had on white shirts and dark ties. And they came up and knocked on my door. And I invited them in. Big mistake. And they tell me that in the scriptures that I need to leave my brand of Christian faith because the grace that I believe in and preach is oversold and that in fact I need to get to work and earn God's favor. And in fact, they admitted to me that's why they were at my door that day. They're there to earn God's favor. And I said, Help me with this. What, what verse do you use? And they said this. They said, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I remember thinking, wow, that, you know, that sounds like I got to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. So I opened up my scriptures and I read it and it said the same thing in mine. You know, you always want to check, are we on the, <laughs> what version do you have? But then I just happened to read the next verse. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Yes, we have a part to work it out, but it is God who's really doing all the heavy lifting. That you just, you can't, you just gotta keep the context of what's going on in mind. Is that making sense for you? They're a part of a larger story. This is gonna be hard for you to see, and I apologize for those of you who have eyes as old as mine. But it gives you a quick look of, of how this, The scriptures, when you open it and you plop down wherever you plop, it's part of a larger narrative going from the very first pages to the very last pages of a God who is absolutely in love with his creation and is pursuing them, trying to redeem them back to himself. And from the book of Genesis where God creates towards the rest of the Old Testament where he initiates his plan of redemption through a nation, a people group, through the provision of Christ where he meets all of the standards of the requirements of the law in the sacrifice of his own son at Calvary's cross. 
and offers eternal life to all who would believe in him. And then the explanation of how this began to play out in the first century church, letters to churches, history of some of the churches in the book of Acts. We have the first 30 years of the expansion and explosion, really, of the church, their interactions with Rome, a book at the end that through some very rich and hard-to-understand imagery explains to us what will happen towards the end times with the promise throughout that at some point God's timing will be such that he will return. Jesus will come back and set all things right. That, that narrative, that story, you should be able to, if you've been a follower for very long, without ever, you don't have to cite chapter and verse, but you should be able to walk people through this big picture story of the, of the movement of God as he pursues us. You wanna, you wanna go to verses and ask, what's the, what's the paragraph say? You know, the Bible verses, the verses and the chapter divisions didn't come until hundreds and hundreds of years later. They're not part of the original inspiration. They were added years and years later so we could find stuff. So what is the, what's the paragraph say? What's the, what's the chapter say? What's the book? What's the overall theme of the book? Listen, don't look at me like you, you don't know how to do this. You can Google all of you are proficient at Google and searching. And you can get so much stuff, you can get completely sidetracked and end up who knows where, in dangerous places if you're not careful. This information is available to you. If you say, well, I don't, I don't Google. I'm filtering. Here's some responses that I might have for you. But there, here's, I mean, just, here's my kindest response. Well, then send your question to me and I'll Google it for you. <laughs> really, wouldn't mind at all the first time. There's also a place called The Bible Project, bibleproject.com, that does this for you better than any place I've ever seen. They will, they will take the book of the Bible, for example, the book of Genesis, and then they will lay it out for you in such a way that you can actually look at the pictures and follow their arrows and understand the current of the narrative. Same thing for something in the New Testament like the book of Matthew. Now, and it's even more fun if you get on their website and click on the book of Matthew, they'll draw it out in order. And they'll take just... 10 minutes to walk you through the book of Matthew to where you'll actually be done and you'll say, huh, I get it. It makes sense. There's some line of thought here, right? Whenever you pick up the Bible and just read a few verses and, or, and then you go to work and you, next day you read a few verses, you're like, I don't know. It's, there's actually a line of thought that you're missing out on. Nothing wrong with reading a few verses and going to work. If you're reading any verses during the week, I'm thrilled. If you're listening to any verses, I'm thrilled. This is a really good tool, the Bible Project. And then last point, 
perhaps maybe the most important is, as you read the scriptures, understand that the entire Bible, the entire Bible points to Jesus. Story in one of our gospels that talks about how in Luke 24, beginning with Moses, Jesus says, and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In all the scriptures, guess what? Guess what that word all means? All. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, that's a way of saying all of the Old Testament. Jesus opened up all of the Old Testament and walked them through. See, it was pointing to me here. This is, this is pointing to me here. This is pointing to me here. Everywhere you land, if you'll take the time, you'll see the promises in the image of Christ. And you'll see this wonderful, beautiful thing. Now, what I have said is tons of work. I understand that I just basically said, if you're just gonna do the, you know, the yellow pages method where you fl flip through the yellow pages and here's my verse for today. You will not let your holy one see decay. I guess I'm not gonna die. That or I'm not gonna get any older. Okay, I like that verse. Good one, thank you. By the way, I just did that. I mean, I, I didn't prep for next service is gonna be all jacked up because I'm gonna probably land in something like, you will grow your hair back or something. I don't know. <laughs> but if you're looking for the easy button, as a follower of Christ, I wanna tell you there's not one. That it's tough, tough work to bridge the gap the time gap, the cultural gap, the language gaps. They're just, just picking something up and flipping it through or just reading those little Hallmark card promises that pop up every once in a while. Those are great, by the way. Don't, don't misunderstand. But if that's all your diet is of the word of God, you're gonna have to change your lifestyle if you're really gonna become a student of this. I cannot tell you how difficult this has been for me. You know that whole part about when you, in English lit or something, I don't know, whatever grade it was, I think it was in junior high when you, were, you, learned, to, you learned what a verb was and a noun and adjectives and all of that stuff. I, I, I just cheated my way through all of that. I don't know what I did, but I skipped it. And that skill, if some of you are sitting there going, oh, I'm really good at that. If that skill is something, if you would just do this, if you'll just watch for connectors in the scriptures and watch for verbs, just read with those two things in mind, you'll kill it. You'll just kill it. Look for ands and alsos and therefores and buts and things that connect things together and then watch for the verbs. But this is a ton of work. But the end result will be this beautiful picture of Christ. There's a slackline artist, a dude who balances on rope that sags. 
named Andy Lewis. And he had a dream that he could put together a team of people that would capture a picture of him walking on the moon. Now, to do this, it meant that he had to find the perfect place in terms of the track of the moon and then the perfect place to suspend rope so that he could be standing as the moon came up and that they could capture it. This proved so difficult, you cannot imagine. Several months of a large team working to try to capture when they could just get everything lined up and have this great alignment of what was going on and then what was going on behind it. People that know photography say that this photo is a once-in-a-lifetime shot. That the difficulty of the seasons and the timing and the geography all matching up together in such a way that there, will, they are, there are people who think this is one of the greatest photographs ever taken because of all of the different things that are involved in it. Now, I don't care what you think about it, okay? Some of y'all are going like, I could have done that. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) But I will tell you this. If you will take the time and arrange your times in the scripture just in a simple way around the word soap, S-O-A-P. If you will just determine in advance, not that I'm just going to flip through and land on something, but that I'm actually going to work my way through a book. Pick a book. If you don't have, if you say, I don't know where to start. Start with a gospel. One of the the biographies about Jesus. My favorite gospel is John. I'd be honored if you'd start there. And you just start doing the work of working your way through John, saying, when I get when I say, okay, I'm in John chapter two this week. And then you write a little O and then you just write everything down you see in John chapter two. What do you see there? And then you write A underneath your S-O-A. And then you say, based on what I saw, My application, A, application is this for me. And then you write P and you say, oh God, will you give me the faith and grace to live this? To live this out? We'll help you with this. We'll help you get started. There's a lab offered starting this Monday. We're doing a sermon series on how not to read the Bible. We've got a lab called How to Read the Bible. We'll work with you through these skills. It's difficult, hard work. Let's learn together. If you say, ah, you know, I'm busy Mondays. Okay, then just find out where there's a group of people that are reading the scriptures together, most of them for the very first time. They're going to work their way through the scriptures. Don't worry about catching up. They're ahead of you. Don't worry about catching up. Grace, grace, grace. If somebody gives you a hard time because you missed the first part, just say, Steve said it was okay. I'll catch up later. 
you join this group called Bible 365, and then every Saturday morning, they gather together and they talk about what they read the past week. And I've been a part of this. It, sometimes it's like, what the heck is this? And I'm, I'm like, beats me. Not sure. Here's some tools for you to be able to do this together. Working your way through the different things. And then finally, life groups. I don't know that you saw that the Supreme Court ruled this past week um, that groups can gather for Bible study. Um, and if you're comfortable doing that, we've got all kinds of life groups. And if you're comfortable gathering, they'll, they'll get, you can find one that's gathering. If you want to only do it on Zoom, you can do it on Zoom. If you're looking for one that's working through a Bible, a book of the Bible or something, we can help you find that, whatever. Best, it, the best way to do it is with others. None of us is as smart as all of us. The worst way to do it's alone. Because what's going to happen is, yeah, you're going you're gonna to leave and you're going to say, yeah, you're right, dude. You're right, ball guy. That is exactly what I'm going to do. And you're going to do it for about four days. Unless you're like my wife, then you'll do it for 14 days. And, but somewhere in there, you'll just quit. So let me just encourage you. Go to work on the scriptures. We're going we're gonna to tackle over the next several weeks some very difficult parts of it, and we'll work through it together. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for the effort you went through to make sure that we understood how much you love us, how much you care for us, We have been careless with your word. We have been poor students of it. We have been poor defenders of it. Would you help us to get better? Not so you'll love us more, because that's not going to happen, but just so we'll understand in your love more and see more clearly the great benefit that as we plan our lives into the wisdom of your word, there is life, there is freedom, there is joy, and there is grace. But most of all, there is Jesus right in the middle of every page. May we know him better. May we love him more so that we look like more like him. In Jesus' name.